Welcome to Shoot Me Straight with David Fields, Eddie Gallagher. We got Camilo Geraldo with us. Geraldo? Geraldo. Geraldo. Come on, Dave. <laughs> Bad. Um, he's a good buddy of mine. Going to hear some of his story. Uh, um, I know some of it, but honestly, I don't think I've really heard heard it all the way through. Um, one night, I remember you telling me some of it, but I don't remember us going into details on any part of it. But remember, just an awesome story of overcoming. And um, uh, yeah, so tell us, where were you born? Well, that's crazy because I thought I came here to learn more about you guys. Than <laughs> <me>. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm the one that is getting interviewed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we appreciate you coming on as well and taking the time. No, uh, absolutely. Uh, you guys are incredible. So uh, where do you want me to start? Can you give you a quick 30,000-foot view of who I am, where I came from? Yeah, where you were born, where you came from, where you know where you grew up, and then pretty much up to how you got here. Okay. Oh. Awesome. So I'm originally from Colombia, South America. Um, my family, we moved to the United States in 2005. So um, I lived a pretty privileged life in Colombia by Colombian standards. You know, everything was beautiful. We lived in a gorgeous three, three-story house. Went to the best schools in Medellin, and then in the early 2000s, sort of our life got flipped ups- upside down. Um, my, my family um, owned uh, cattle ranches uh, about 10 hours from, from the city. And then at the time, there was a lot of the guerrilla warfare um, mm-hmm. starting extortioning my family. And uh, my, my uncle, who was our, our family attorney, sort of took the lead, um, and he decided not to negotiate with them. And um, uh, very unfortunate, but my uncle got kidnapped, and uh, we never got to see him again. Um, through that series of events, my, my dad was shot once. I didn't know until years later. He, mm. he had a sort of a Band-Aid, and uh, he had a friend of his that rode a motorcycle um, always behind him. You know, I could have never understood why. He was never inside the car with us, and where he couldn't come for dinner, just you know, sit outside. Turned out, my dad was shot, and we had a bodyguard with us for about two months. Dang. <laughs> and um, and in the middle of all of this economic situation, playing paying two percent interest rates per month, twenty four percent annualized, we sort of lost everything we had. Mm. And when I say we lost everything we had, when my my dad finally made the decision to to take the leap and come to the states. We couldn't afford um, to pay for our plane tickets. Mm. So a couple of our relatives put enough money together. We bought four, four plane tickets with our um, final destination, Freeport, Florida. Mm-hmm. So Exotic location. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, so we packed our bags, true story, December 31st, December 30th. We packed our bags, one-way tickets, say goodbye to friends, didn't know when we were going to see them again, and we landed in Miami. We lost our airport, um, our flight connection, and uh, we celebrated our first New Year's in traffic in downtown Miami. We spoke zero English, uh, <laughs> but here we are, you know, four, four family members, my dad, my brother, my, my dad, my mom, my brother, and I, and just a lot of hopes, you know, just a bunch of mixed emotions. I remember when the plane was taken off. My my mom was crying, I was crying, my brother was crying, and we looked over, and my dad does this. I Still to this day, every time I get on a plane, I do this, because he did this thing with his hand where he brought it down. When that plane took off Colombia, he knew 
that he was going to give us new opportunities beyond what we could have ever imagined. Mm. And so that's just something very special to me. There's a, there's a song in Spanish, since you guys speak Spanish, Juan Luis Guerra, Visa para un sueño. It says, Visa for a dream. And that basically, every time I get on a plane, I play that song and I repeat that moment when the plane takes off. I go and I listen to it and it just like brings all these incredible memories. But mm. So we moved over. We ended up in Freeport because... Five years before that, another Colombian who his daughter's water skied landed at some famous water ski lakes in a, cult, in a town called Santa Rosa Beach, Florida. <laughs> and he fell in love with the area, and he decided to relocate his family out here. And, you know, a few years before that, when my uncle was moving, he says, hey, come over here, you know, work with me. Um, he started building granite countertop kitchens. And that was sort of the early beginning of the Colombian colony. Mm. That came to the panhandle. You know, fast forward 15 years later, there's like 50 of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they run so, deep here. Yeah, yeah. And so so we, we knew anybody other than my uncle. We enrolled at Freeport High School. I spoke zero English. Um, my brother and I were the only two international students. Um, and uh, we started getting creative. Uh, we you know, started cleaning houses, um, doing whatever it you know, take to make to make a living. Uh and uh, it was pretty tough at first. I just I kind of went into this um, stage where I wouldn't talk to my parents. I just hated them. You know, I had my friends in Colombia. I was 15. I just I wasn't a popular kid here. I uh, didn't have a driver's license. Um, so so it was a it was you know some 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 pretty tough moments. But about eight months into it, something clicked on me when I distanced myself from everything and I just focused on what I had. I just saw all these efforts, seeing my mom scrubbing toilets. You know, we mm. lived in a one-bedroom trailer, mattresses in the floor, and just seeing their their grade and their willingness to do whatever it takes to give my brother and I a better opportunity. And I just kind of switched it around, and I just went full full force just to do whatever it takes and take advantage of the opportunities that, you know, this country had given us and the efforts yeah. that my parents had made. Mm. So I... um. I started uh, just saving money and working and going to school. Um, school was a little tough for me because uh, since I spoke no English, Freeport didn't have any infrastructure for non-Hispanic, uh, non non-English speaking students. Mm-hmm. So for for vast of my high school uh, years, I was in a special needs with three other three other kids um, from the school. Uh, so <laughs> when. Uh, that sounded to be quite the experience. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and they were in great, great guys. But, you yeah. know, and I remember Nick Dada, he was legally blind. I had uh, Brian, he was, um, um, uh, uh, he had me- uh, mentally, mental illness. He had to drive a, a car and, you know, he could only, like, basically push it forward with his right hand. And, you know, um, I, as a high school, you know, student, like, you know, some, you'd see the older guys, you know, making fun of you and whatever. But, you know, I just sort of embraced it. Um, and that's funny because, in a span of four years, I went from, you know, being the kid that, you know, no one really liked. I was actually homecoming king, prom king, Mr. FHS. Dang. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> Which for Freeport, you know, I mean, I love, you know, Freeport, <laughs> but it's always been a small town <laughs> yeah. where we're sort of um, historically the football quarterback is who gets all these titles. And I just thought it was hilarious. Later, the two years later, my brother did the same thing. So. Uh, I think once people realized that we were normal, just like them, that you know had a family that that loved me and loved my friends, they all just loved coming over, my mom cooking, you know, making some incredible memories. Yeah. 
Um, but uh, while, while I was in school, um, uh, we used to clean houses after school and on the weekends, and we cleaned the house for a, a local real estate broker. Uh, and she was always, Camila, you need to get your real estate license and come and work for us. So I said, okay, well, how do you do that? And she explained to me, you know, get a B18, have a high school diploma. And I said, well, I graduated in about a month. So I went to my parents. We had saved up enough money for me to go to Gatlinburg uh, on our high school senior trip. And I said, I'm not going to go to my high school senior trip. I'm going to go to real estate school. And I have mm-hmm. no idea what that is. So, so I did that. I go to real estate school. I get my license when I'm 18. And then I enrolled uh, for civil engineering that, 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 that summer. And I start learning, you know, about real estate. The market is crushed. It's 2009, so the word short sales foreclosures are very, very common. Um, uh, it's it's uh, it's not an exciting time to be in, in real estate or in construction. But I just saw a lot of opportunities. Um, I was that guy that I sold a vacant lot to my physics professor. I sold the house <laughs> to the director of the engineering department, <laughs> and I just sort of just kept kept learning, meeting people, um, growing. Um, I um, started, uh, got my broker's license. I started a brokerage, and I continue working um, uh, with developers, mostly individuals that are just trying to get rid of their assets. I got my first taste in private equity connected with a group from South Florida. Uh, they were uh-huh. buying distressed assets throughout the panhandle and uh, participated in, in some transactions that they were um, involved in and sort of just slowly grew the snowball. Um, what age was that? This is 2011, so I was 21. Okay. 21 to 22. Yeah. Um, uh, that year, I worked on my first development project. Uh-huh. Uh, my brother was going to school in Tallahassee, and I said, hey, let's just let's see what we can develop. So we saw an opportunity. Um, I started making, making a little bit of money, so I was able to uh, buy a vacant, vacant lot in uh, downtown Tallahassee about a mile from the school. And I had this great idea to build a student housing complex. You know, it's, it's huge at that time for me. You know, small mm-hmm. today. It was going to be 16 bedrooms, 16 bathrooms. And uh, I was so naive that when I went to the bank with my brother, we had this big smile in our face and says, hey, we're going to do this project. Uh, in 2011, not a single bank in the country was going to give a construction loan to a 21-year-old and his 18-year-old you know, brother, <laughs> partner. So we just... Had to get creative, sold one of our cars, started saving money, and ju- we just kind of uh, figure out a way to engineer it backwards. You know, we said, it doesn't matter how much it costs per foot to build this. The reality is we only have this much money, and we got to get this done in this time frame. Mm-hmm. So we work it out backwards. I designed a very efficient, the smallest um, four-bedroom, four-bathroom footprint that I could come up with, and the plan was to do four of these. So go, go to the county, uh, the city of Tallahassee, Learned the checklist. I learned that I didn't have to be a GC because I couldn't hire one, and I wasn't one myself. So I decided to to be an owner builder, and um, I went to the school of architecture and I talked to the dean and I said, "Who's your, your best architecture student that you have that's graduating this year?" Mm-hmm. He gives me the name of a guy. Have coffee with a guy, and I drew basically the plans almost on a napkin, and I said, "Hey, I got five hundred dollars. Can you put this on CAD to make sure that it meets the uh, Florida building code?" I said, yeah, you got it. Yeah. So. A month later, I have my set of plans and then, you know, found an engineer that will stamp on them and just, you know, everything yeah. kind of, you know, the snowball started growing. Um, you guys will like this. I'm not going to go into too much detail on, on that story, but um, uh, this lab was the very first thing that we needed to get done. And everybody was quoting us like $8,000 and we had like 4000 in our budget. So build a relationship with a local uh, uh, concrete contractor. And I said, hey, I know you cannot do it for this price, but you have a foreman. 
that we can borrow for a week and we'll just pay him cash. The guy's like, yes, we do, but you're still going to need a lot of people. So he says, well, don't worry. Just that's one opportunity. We'll figure out the rest. Mm-hmm. So we sit down with this guy. Where do we get a lot of people from? He says, well, you know, the, the local jail, as people are getting released, they got to do X number of community service hours. It's like, oh, say no more. So we called them. <laughs> <laughs> so we called them. Uh, actually, I got a got a photo of it here. I'll show you guys. Um, and uh, we ended up getting uh, like eight guys from the prison. We went and picked them up. We got them all breakfast that morning, and we got the slab done in the weekend <laughs> for the price that that we needed to get it done. That's um, awesome. That's such an awesome so, story. Yeah, so that that was sort of um, uh, you know my, 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 our first development project, and then um, after that, as I was graduating college uh, with with my engineering degree, um, I had uh, met um, a, a local uh, developer in the Panhandle. Um, I'll I'll look for that photo and share it with you guys later. But um, he was a great mentor of mine while I was in a school. Um, very influential, you know. At the time, you know, he had his hands on over half half a billion dollars. On, on real estate assets. He developed the Emerald Grand in Destin. He was the original developer for Sun Destin Resort, Destin Commons, um, legendary family of companies. And um, uh, Peter had spent, you know, a lot of time teaching me and guiding me. And, you know, my, my idea was I'm going to move to South Florida uh, and I'm going to figure out a way to work, work, work an opportunity with a developer. You know, I'm a broker. I'm a civil engineer. Surely I can add value. Um, and... Um, he wasn't doing too good at the time. Um, he had a lot of debt. Fourteen banks loans were due, and uh, he had to do a lot of restructuring in his company. He had to let go of a lot of key executives, VP of operations, VP of construction, VP of marketing. And I said, you know, why don't you let me hang by you for about three months, kind of see what you're doing until I figure out where I'm going to go from here. Well, three months turned into an incredible four or five year ride. Um, where I was with him every day and, you know, we were doing acquisitions, dispositions, master mm-hmm. planning, capital raises, financial engineering, working with lenders, um, um, you name it. I mean, I never got to become amazing at one single thing, but I became great at a lot of things. It was like mm-hmm. drinking through a fire hose every day. Yeah. And it was just so exciting. And he's just such a passionate individual. Like, it was kind of like being in a playground. Um, um, you know, he's hard. He's a 15-year-old you know, big dreamer, and so am I. So so just seeing his smile at the office every day, whether it was something challenging or exciting, it was just, you know, an amazing experience. And um, towards the end, I was doing some of the construction management on our on our behalf for some of the projects that we were developing. Um, we actually built a restaurant for Lucy Buffett, uh, Lulu's in Destin. Mm, and okay. uh, so, so got to got to uh, build a great relationship with with that team, and um, and I decided to pursue my general constructions, um, my GC license in the state of Florida. Um, I sort of then went and focused in my own. I'm still doing a little bit of brokerage, some real estate development, but I spent the, the following six years, five years, growing a construction company um, that I've, I've grown to. We as a team, we've grown it to 26 employees, three offices throughout the southeast, eight figures in annual revenue. And uh, then the last two years, from 2020 to today, I've spent it putting everything under one umbrella. Uh, mm-hmm. So at our core DNA, uh, we're a real estate developer investor, uh, but our competitive advantage, we're a fully vertically integrated real estate developer. We can take any project from A to Z, from a market analysis, acquisition, um, 
Oh, wow. um, as a broker uh, to do all the entitlements, uh, permitting necessary as a developer. And then we have the construction company that is fully bondable. Um, wow. There's few, there, there can't be that many companies that are fully vertical like that. Yeah, I don't think nobody's dumb enough to do it. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> people just, people that are smart, they focus on one thing that they're great at. Yeah. yeah. So. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. That's yeah. uh, pretty remarkable <laughs> what you guys did. Was that time during that four years with Peter uh, where you just were with him every day and learning all those aspects? Was that like one of the biggest growth parts? of your life, like where you were just growing so yeah. much. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, I got to skip so many, so many years, uh, just to be with someone of, of, you know, the, the quality of experiences that he's has over the years. He's an incredible sharp mind, but you know, you think about it. Um, I did in four years what other people would have taken them 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I sacrificed, I've never cared about a salary or a compensation in my life. Um, I've always been, I've never had a, you know, I've never worked for anyone in my life other than sort of myself and just creating my own paths. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, what I gave up was moving to South Florida, getting a great compensation package, um, um, but being number 100th in an organization to to being right there next to number one every day. I, mm-hmm. I yeah. didn't care about didn't care about pay, didn't care about you know. I just just focused on on on, on experiences and learning. So yeah, that's awesome. You know, like, obviously, you just went through your whole story from, you know, the beginning to where we are now. And, I mean, first off, I'm always impressed about, you know, when I hear people who have migrated over here to this country from another one that don't speak, they don't speak the language, and they have to make their way, you know, regardless. Um, I know how much of a hill that is to climb in a way. You know, I grew up a military brat, um, so I bounced around. I've lived over in Asia most of my, my childhood, so... I have same dynamic a little bit, obviously not to the uh, extreme that you guys went through, but, you know, going to these new places, not speaking the language and sort of having to adapt and overcome. Um, so, yeah, when you guys came over here, first off, and I know <clears throat> you said, you know, the first, I think it was like five to eight months, you were pretty pissed off, uh, angry, which I can definitely relate to that. And I remember moving around when I was little, being angry most of the time, just having to leave friends and everything. Um, but you said there was a, a point where you know, a switch flipped and you're like, okay, now it's time to get to work or start doing things. What, what made that switch flip? What do you think, um, did that for you? I I think it was, it was realizing that this country, our founding fathers, I don't think they could ever dream. I mean, I I don't want to get into politics and I say our fun, because I, this pin that I wear, my mom gave it to us when we became U.S. citizens in 2013 um, and so I wear, wear it. A lot of people think that I'm running for, for, for a political <laughs> position. I like, no, dude, it's just my mom gave me this pin when, when I became a U.S. citizen, and it's just it's a very, very special thing for me. But I don't think the founding fathers, fathers could have realized the incredible experiment that they created um, when, when they, they founded this country. And uh, it's really the only place in the world where, where there's such a thing as freedom of speech and opportunities where... Other countries, if you lo- if you don't come from from a wealthy family or you don't have political connections, um, once you're in the hole, you're in the hole, and the, yeah. everybody's so driven. But everybody wants, you know, there's just so so much, so much talent and and so much grit that nobody really gets to have an opportunity only that a very few select. 
and and just realizing that this country is really a white canvas for those that want to work hard for it. And we have people like yeah. you guys um, that 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 work hard to protect our freedom and those those ideals. Um, that I just didn't want to, I just didn't want to waste uh, another day in my life. I kind of like made made sort of a promise to myself um, that you know hopefully I'm over a hundred um, when I die. And I look back and I look at that 14-year-old immigrant me in the in, in the eyes. I can lie to anyone. I can lie to you. I can lie to you. I can lie to my mom. I can lie to my fiance. But I could never lie to that 14-year-old guy when I look at myself in the mirror. So I just set set a goal to and a commitment um, to that guy to to just give everything I can to just live up a, a fulfilled life of 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 always challenging myself and seeking opportunities. That's remarkable, man. I mean, what what a blessing it is to learn at such a young age, like what this country has to offer. And I think, you know, for the most part, it seems like it's, you know, immigrants that come over here, you know, from wherever they come, they, they're the first ones to realize that, you know, because they don't grow up in this country. They, they know what they don't have. Mm-hmm. And I love watching it. You know, I love, I mean, especially the Colombians around here probably have some of the biggest work ethic I've ever seen, which is why a lot of them are so successful um, because that is the bottom line, right? Do the work and you'll reap the rewards. Yeah. 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 I agree. That's awesome. How uh-huh. was it for your family? I mean, cause I can only imagine, you know, cause you guys say you came, you know, from Columbia and you lived a pretty good life there. Um, and then pretty much losing everything and coming over here. I mean, how was it with the family dynamic? Cause you guys are living in, you know, a one, uh, would you say bedroom apartment or uh, trailer? Yeah, you know, just all you guys all living together, coming from Colombia, living that lifestyle, and then coming here and sort of starting from the bottom and working your way up. Like, how was it with the whole family during that time? It was very tough at the moment. Looking back, it's probably some of the best memories we've ever had. But uh, but before actually moving here, I mean, my dad confessed there was a lot of times where where he thought about you know not needing to live on this earth anymore and like yet mm-hmm. actually committing suicide came across his mind a couple of times, but he's like, I cannot leave my wife on, on this earth and, and my two kids um, without a father. Uh, and my mom could have had an opportunities where all she had to do was divorce my dad and find another wealthy man um, and move on. Um, but they stuck together and, uh, and we were able to create some, you know, like again, you s- just always when you look back, when yep. you realize we had a we had an old Mazda in like 1980s, and uh, we got a free free trailer. We bought a little dirt bike, and we converted the jet ski trailer into a trailer for our bike. And mm-hmm. we will hook up this dirt bike to this 1980s Mazda, and we'll go to a dirt pit on the weekends, and we'll just ride the dirt bike and rotate it around. Um, probably some of the most you know exciting memories that I have. We'll clean houses on Saturdays uh, for vacation rental companies. And we will always sprint to the kitchen because when people leave town, they will always leave the frozen food. Uh, <laughs> like a lot of it was unpacked, and just like all of us, like okay, well, you know, let's just we'll, we're driving on the car and going out there. What do we think they left today? Corn dogs, hot dogs, <laughs> and like just like all of us, literally, just like you know, we wouldn't buy breakfast. We'll just go there and then just whatever corn dogs they left, we'll hit them up and just sharing you know the time, <laughs> and then we'll make competitions. Like okay, you mom and dad one way. How many bets, you know, how many bets can you guys do before the next 30 minutes? And, and so, yeah, it was just That's so cool. It was just amazing. And just ce- celebrating um, uh, Christmases with, with a lot of families that were sort of in the same boat, just yeah. a humbling experience. 
of just you're not a label, you're not the CEO of XYZ, you're not, you know, you're just, you know, you're nobody looking for opportunities and um, and just surrounding ourselves with very like-minded families. We, we, we have some incredible memories. Mm. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's, a, it's pretty amazing, you know, the toughest of times usually are the best memories that you have when you look back on yeah. it, right? Because uh, you're just grateful for everything that you have and and what it took to get to that point. Uh, and you, you said something earlier when you mentioned, you know, it, uh, I think you were talking about jujitsu that it takes the ego away. Yep. And I think, you know, success is our, our biggest enemy um, that, you mm. know, it comes with, with that ego and uh, just learning how to, you know, for me, the, the, the one thing that I constantly fight with against every day is trying to push that ego away. Yep. Um, I'm trying to focus on what's important to me and my mission and what I believe is my purpose on this earth. Um, and, you know, just trying to enjoy every day for what we get because, you know, tomorrow is not promised. So that is correct. Yeah. What, what are some of the things that you do or what practices do you do to sort of uh, keep your ego in check? So I, I started this routine um, about two years ago now, uh, but really focused over the last 12 months. I, um, I sort of, the, 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 the bulk of my career, I really built it by, by grinding and staying focused, keeping my head down. And as I started reaching a small level of success, just starting relaxing a little bit, going on on weekends, having fun with friends, and um, I realized that's not what I wanted to do. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, in my opinion, we all have, things to be fully committed, just three things. However, you decide to spend your time, you know, for some people is work, going out and family, uh, for some others is sports, family, but you know, you, I don't think you can go out, work, spend time with family and then do your hobbies. So I decided that, that I wanted to focus on the three most important things for me, which is my family, my growing a, a business that has a mission and a purpose and sports. Uh, and what I started doing, uh, having a daily routine, which is something that I didn't have. So the first thing that I do every day, um, I dedicate two hours to myself. I wake up and the first thing is I just give gratitude. That's something that's so obvious for a lot of people, but to give conscious gratitude and ask yourself a question, like what are the three most important things to me today? Like if I knew this is my last day, what is it that is the most valuable things to me? And, you know, you'll realize that it's not the, the accolades, it's not the titles, it's not the money, it's not the material things. It's always the, the cheapest, most readily available things that we don't sometimes don't take enough time to appreciate. So, you know, family, mm-hmm. um, uh, those close, not friends, but allies, you know, because like they say, friends will tell you what you want to hear, allies will tell you what you need to hear. So those mm-hmm. very special people in your life that push you to grow and, and just, you know, try to try to find something that, you know, like I, I, I don't like humid weather. So <laughs> so so but like in, in, in a summer day, if it's humid outside, so thank you, God, for this incredible warm weather. Yep. And, and really just try to find the positive and even the little things that makes us uncomfortable uh, and then journaling and meditating and then exercise. So those are sort of the four things that I do every day, two hours in the morning just to myself. I don't do anything else. Don't even pick up my phone, look at my calendar. That's just time to work on my body and my mind. That's awesome, man. Yeah, I mean, that's, I do, I'm Dave, I know you do something similar as well. Yeah, I, I mean, I get up, same thing, not two hours early, probably like an hour and a half. 
and really just uh, sit down. The first thing I do is open my Bible, uh, you know, read through that, and then I thank God for just having the air in my lungs that morning and being able to do whatever I whatever I'm able to do that day. Uh, I think gratitude, like you said, I think it's, you said it's obvious, you know, to do, but I think for most a lot of people it's hard. I think it's a, a lot of people it's hard for them to get up and actually give gratitude. Yeah. But once you get there, it's uh, it you know clears out your whole day. It's I awesome. Agree. What's crazy is I think of like when, cause I relate a lot with your story, right? Like I relate with like, uh, well, it, there's some differences there, right? Like I, I, I nearly died of drug addiction. And so it was, I, I expected to die. So it was like, Hey, every day is kind of like another day in the bonus round. And so there's nothing to lose in a sense. And I think a lot of kids miss that today. It's like, Hey, you're 16, you're 18, you're 20 some, you don't have family, you don't have wife you don't have kids like go for it like you know like get yourself one of the I have a lot of questions but one of them (laughs) is um one thing that I heard a lot of was they're like finding joy in the struggle um where you you know you guys are hustling on the weekends you're you're in making it into a game where you're hey you know what are they going to have left in the fridge to how fast can you do the beds like stuff like that so awesome, but but, um, it's almost like getting into this mindset of hustle and this routine, this habit of hustling, and then when you make it, right? When you all all of a sudden you're like, hey, listen, I've built it. Like I have more money than I ever dreamed of having, and now, and it's like beginning to change and grow. And it's not so much about the money, but more about man, this experience and understanding you know, how you have the learning a lot from guys that really know putting yourself around them. Um, but then, then it's like, Hey, where does that hustle? You know, you begin to relax, you begin to take things for granted. You begin to forget of where you came from. Do you ever struggle with that of going, man, it's, you know, now your day to day, it's like, you're not thinking about, man, you know, what am I going to do to pay the rent this month? Or what am I going to do to you're thinking about, hey, what's the next step? What's the next thing? How how else do I grow? Do you ever struggle with like just going back and remembering that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, first of all, just through through my experience, I have a huge fear, not for myself, because I mean I can live on Roman noodles, I can live under a bridge, but just that fear of taking everything away from, from you and just seeing my future kids. You know, I have a huge social responsibility and ethical responsibility with my parents. They don't have a social security. They don't have a retirement account. So, you know, before I even think about, you know, my kids, I got to make sure that my parents will be able to to retire of old age and live a comfortable life, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then thinking about, you know, what I want to, you know, the future that I want to build for, for my, my kids and my grandkids. Like before I think about, you know, myself, retire on an exotic island like I really think about the opportunities that I'm going to create for my grandkids like that's I have dreams that I want to accomplish in my lifetime of foundations that Mm -hmm. I want to create for my grandkids and that's just kind of how I how I think but um I I think the 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 for me um it's it's a never-ending journey like I don't have like oh this is what I wanted to accomplish just like before I'm getting there I already have another milestone and I think is having that a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset where we're always the you know 
the, the talking about ego, the, the biggest lesson that, are, that I've learned in the last 10 years, it's not a lesson, it's just more a technique because you never learn it, um, is to learn and realize that the race is only with yourself. And, mm-hmm. and when you do things out of, out of passion um, and out of pressure, um, uh, but good pressure, uh, you're growing it because you want to prove yourself. Not, and when you do things out of ego, it's because you want to prove others wrong. Mm, and yep. so I think when you when you have mm. you know clear goals and and you want to you want to do something for yourself and you can s- continuously keep pushing yourself forward, I think that's when you find it the most rewarding. I mean, it sounds cliche when you hear the the quotes that it's not about the destination; it's about the journey. And it's like, yeah, whatever. But like, yeah. it really but is. But they have true. some truth to them. It really know? is truth. If you go back and look, you know, when was that? You know, when you won a championship or you know you won you know, a, 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 a war or you, you grew a business to a certain level and you got a check, what were you excited about? I mean, did you ever felt the thrill of holding a check with X number of zeros behind it or, like, actually thinking about all the struggles that you went through? Mm. I think that's what you celebrate the most. Yeah, 100%. And so, so I think it's just always seeking to have um, uh, that incredible journey. Um, and, you know, ultimately I think there's a – um, a, a world law, regardless of what beliefs or religion you live, is just be a good human. You know, treat others the way you want to be treated. And uh, I think if you have a you have a mission and and you're driven and you wanna you wanna live a mark in this earth, whether you know for some people it might be a little, but if you put the effort forward, um, um, that's amazing. And so I think that's that's what I focus on: constantly evolving, constantly growing, just. Never, never get complacent and just always have a bigger goal that, you know, again, for others might be small, but for me is just um, uh, something that requires uh, a lot of commitment and sacrifice to get there. And I think that's what keeps things exciting. Yeah, I think it's so, and I, I, I 100% agree with you. There, there's like this internal, like you learn this internal, I compete with myself primarily, right? And so... There's external things to it, but there's the internal pressure that you give you, you give yourself that you're like, hey, these are goals that I've set, and I'm going to hit these goals, and it's going to be tough, and it's going to be just far enough that, man, I'm going to really have to hustle to get it and hit that goal. Um, but I see the path. I see the vision, and I'm, I'm going to figure out a way. There's going to be pivots along the way, like like with your story with the slab, and you're like, I only, only got 4K, and it cost 8K at least. And I'm going to figure out how to make that happen. And it's that internal goal where you're your own boss and, and you're pushing yourself. I see a lot of guys that, that they have to have someone else give them that pressure and that goals to, to grow. But when you give it to yourself, you really grow. Um, and I think of one story I think of is um, when I first started Redbox, I, Fran was pregnant with number one. Right, and so she just left her job. I think at the time we were making, I don't know, maybe eighty thousand dollars a year or so. Like, so we were somewhat comfortable, right? And and I'm like, hey, I'm gonna leave my job. I know you just left yours. I know you're pregnant with our first one, but I have to do this, and I'm gonna make it happen. I don't know how exactly yet, <laughs> but I'm gonna make it happen. And luckily, I have an awesome wife, and she's like okay, I trust you. And so every month, you know, I wake up with that pressure on my shoulders, like, okay, I have to figure out a way, right? Like our our monthly income 
does not match. <laughs> we, we literally have nothing coming in. And yeah. so I'd have to work really hard to get one customer that would be like a hundred bucks a month or something like that. Right. And so I'd have to supplement with doing websites and doing all sorts of stuff, just trying to make it month to month. And it came to a point where I've grew, grew it enough where I was like, man, we're, we're close, but man, we're not there. And like, I don't know how we're going to make it this next month. And so I did a Hail Mary went and I found this company that, there was 11 companies that they were all my primary customers and they had this annual meeting and they'd go to this meeting every, like every year and they had one coming up like two weeks later. And I went and I found one of the companies. I drove over to their office and I sat in the waiting room. I just waited for the, the owner to get back from lunch. It's like, I'm going to meet with him. Like there, there's no appointment, no nothing. I'm just, I'm going to be there. He's going to meet with me. I'm going to meet with him. I'm going to show him the software. I show him the software. And and he's like, you know what? I'll I'll get you in to come present. And so I spend, I put it on a credit card. I I pay for a flight and I pay for a hotel. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, and I go to this hotel. I'm the last speaker of their little private meeting. And there's eleven companies, right? And so, like, if I can just nail one or two of these guys, I think we can make it. I go up. And they're all tired. I'm trying to introduce myself beforehand, and they're all tired. And I'm like, damn it. Like, like of course, they, they don't – the last person they want to talk to is some software guy pitching the software. And I start to go through the pitch. And then, like, a couple minutes in, I'm like, you know, I go, you know what? Fuck it. And everyone kind of like – and I was like, I'm just going to sh- – I'm going to skip all the talk, and I'm going to show you exactly what it does. And I, like, put it up on the board, and I just started going through, here's how you handle it commissions here's how you import it here's how the alias here's how you do your quotes and rfqs and rfps and in about i don't know like five minutes later one of the guy one of the owners stood up and he starts pacing in the back and i thought oh man like this maybe this dude's like like uber religious or something and i said the f word and this is a very professional meeting and i shouldn't have said that he's probably pissed about it and he stops me and says wait 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 you're telling me that not only you have, you know, commissions and sampling and quotes, but you you also handle all the sales importing. And he's like, this is unbelievable. And that in and literally from that point on, I didn't know it at the time, but that was kind of the head guy and like all the other companies kind of just followed suit with whatever he did. That day I landed all eleven companies. We were <laughs> like I called home, I'm like Baby, we did it. <laughs> like, break out the red panties. <laughs> I'm like, we we made it. And it's like those moments through the struggle of trying to build something, right, where you've put your goals out there. You don't know how you're going to do it, but you're going to figure out a way. And it's like high highs, low lows too, right, where there's days where you're like, man, what am I doing? Am I an idiot? Like, do I just need to, am I, do I just need to go get a regular job and like, you know, and you just doubt in yourself. But then there's the, the those breakthroughs that come along the way that's just incredible. That's amazing. Is that how Shipper was was born? With no, the, that, with that the, one. Yeah, the red <laughs> panty night. <laughs> I love that kid. He's, oh, he's the best. Yeah, yeah, all of them were incredible, but he's just, like, so full of energy. Like, you can just yeah. tell. That, he's a wild yeah. man. Well, he's a little, little Dave. Yeah, he yeah, is. Yeah. yeah. It scares me. <laughs> Uh, I got one. I got one as well. Yeah, yeah. My shepherd is your Ryan. Yeah, that's too funny. Yeah, yeah. there. He's like with shepherd. I'm like he's either gonna be like 
like a professional criminal <laughs> or he's going to be some entrepreneur, like super, hopefully got to steer him in that right direction. That's all. Yeah. Well, but I think, I think it, if you look at those traits, I mean, it, it takes people, you know, think outside the box and just take for their beliefs. And it's, it applies to both evil or good. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just kind of how, how you apply it. But if you look at some of the, you know, sharpest, you know, minds, I mean, I think, you know, Hitler was a evil individual imagine had he been able to harness yep. all that talent and his skill to change humanity for the <laughs> positive my mm. god mm. yeah if only hitler was raised right yeah i know right it would have been different <laughs> yeah yeah if only yeah easier said than done so yeah. you uh you also said so you you're into sports that's that most sort of keeps you into check um yeah. what what sports are you uh into so uh throughout my life i kind of done a little bit of everything uh, but I've always liked uh, adrenaline driven sports mm-hmm. so uh, riding dirt bikes you know I've always wanted to you know I had this dream when I was a kid I always wanted to be a rally racer wanted to be like in the Paris Dakar um, didn't even know how to spell Paris um, but I just you know um, on about two 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 and a half years ago my my fiance um, um, she grew up in a cattle ranch in Alabama and their next door neighbors uh, they played polo for about 30 years, and uh, so I started playing polo. Um, but how the story, how the yeah. start, the story started. We were one one day at the farm, and uh, he's like, "Hey, Camilo, you're from Colombia. Come over here and get on the horse with us." And so, well, actually, I never really ridden that many horses in my life, but I do love them. And I get on the pony. They give me a mallet. We go out on the field. Uh, and it's like if I had ridden a Toyota Prius and I all of a sudden I get <laughs> access to this Ferrari on a racetrack and it was just, you know, I'm up, I was moving all over the place. I couldn't hit the ball, but I just fell in love with it and I just kept wanting to, to do more and more and more. So I travel a lot for my business. And so what I started doing everywhere I'll travel, I'll look up Polo Club and call the, the pro that was, you know, had given me that first intro lesson see who he will connect me with. And, you know, my mentor, Kenny Bramlett, who's the, the gentleman that was the, the, the polo form where I played at first. And they started introducing me to people and just one, le- one thing leads to another. I started getting the lesson about once a month. Um, but fall of 2020, I kind of, I knew that, that it's something that I love. And I started driving to the farm um, in Alabama, wake up at four in the morning, um, do some calls on the way there, get there by eight o'clock ride two horses, take an hour break, work, ride two more horses. And I did this Friday through Sunday for about two months. And uh, towards the end of it, I remember on my way back, I, was, I called my fiance. She was my girlfriend at the time. And uh, I had tears in my in my face, just not sobbing. Uh, but it was just had such a special bond. And I think you guys relate now with jiu-jitsu, um, mm-hmm. where it's something that becomes part of your life. Yeah. Uh, uh, for me, it was just the... The, the relationship that I had with the horses, the people in the community. You know, we were not in some fancy field sponsored by Vocally Co. and just people dressed up fancy. We were in an open field in the middle of nowhere wearing jeans. We're like a bunch of wild Indians, <laughs> you know, chasing a ball. And, uh, and there was just something fascinating about that, just to feel your heartbeat with your horse's heartbeat and seven other people, and you literally feel the field stumping on the vibration on the ground and like I don't try polo because I know you guys have uh, <laughs> an adrenaline uh, uh, driven 
personality and you don't need another hobby in your life uh, so i'll just leave it at that but yeah it's it's uh it's actually changed my life um uh, going back to some some of those early habits that i mentioned i just i didn't want to keep going out on the weekends and drinking i didn't want to spend another saturday hangover and uh, so actually i didn't want to be hangover to ride a you know few hundred pound yeah. animal <laughs> and uh, i just kind of you know remember how amazing it was to 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 be fully focused the same energy that you put on a tuesday through because let's face it you go out on a saturday stay out late you're not going to be productive on a monday you know we're more reactive than proactive yeah, can you still get things with done? age can you still get things done absolutely but but there's something to be said about having your your mind in the sharpest way possible to actually do things that move the needle um, and it's easier said than done, but when you actually have your mind clear and you're able to focus, I think you guys relate because I can see through y'all's habits and the way you guys look that you guys spend a lot of time and, and focus for your body and your mind. You can actually move mountains, um, uh, what we can do here with, with our brain. So, yeah, it, it, it kind of, you know, built some discipline, much-needed discipline that I that I felt that I needed in my life for what I, what I want to accomplish. And uh, it's just a, a beautiful sport. Plus, my fiance was a lot more excited to come watch me play polo than go to a dirt bike track yeah. and hear me going. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> um, but I met some incredible people throughout the world. There's only about ten thousand players um, mm. uh, that play polo, so um, it's a lifestyle. Um, it's not a sport. Um, it's like you're once you play polo, you know whether you. I don't play professionally. I just play it for fun, but still a huge commitment. Yeah. Uh, but it's a beautiful thing. I heard so I I'm be honest like I don't know much about polo you know from you don't no I, <laughs> I, I, I think you did yeah I'm not, a, I'm not a polo master here but uh I know it's it has to be a rough sport right so I you know I I looked it up uh just to you know get a background on it so is it it's four on four yeah right and then you have like extra horses obviously if one gets hurt but then. How how big is the field? Is it like nine football fields? So yeah, so a field is ten acres. Mm-hmm. That's not including setbacks uh, for for overruns and so forth. Um, it's um, four hundred and eighty feet wide by nine hundred feet long. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then uh, a time in Paul is called a chucker. Uh, they're seven and a half minutes. Uh, at my level, I'll call it amateur level. You know, about eighty percent of the the, the the games in the world are four chuckers, so there's four times. Um, and then you got some higher goal tournaments. There um, eight ch- uh, six chuckers, and then, like, the best polo in the world where, like, everybody's, you know, the best of the best, they play eight chuckers. Mm. Um, a horse is only good for about seven and a half minutes because they're, they're, athlete, they're better, better athletes than us. They're, like, the real heroes in the yeah. sport. <laughs> Uh, and so they just give it their best. Um, they're trained specifically to play polo. You cannot just get any horse, put it, you know, put a, a saddle on it and let's go play polo. Like it really, you know, you take them when they're about six years old and train them for about two years um, and they're still not ready, you know, to play. And then you slowly introduce them to the games because, you know, once they see a mallet going up through their, you know, they, they freak out. Uh, so you really got to mm-hmm. get the horse acclimated to that. So we'll first get it acclimated oh, to the that. mallet. Mm-hmm. Then you get it acclimated to a bowl. You're, you know, swinging this large thing that they can see, and then they see a bowl. So that's step two. Now other horses in the field, now they get in hit by the ball sometimes, which is, you know, we get hit, the horses get hit by the ball. 99% of the time they're just, you know, 
just a normal normal head. So there's not not you know rarely major injuries from that. Uh, and then pole is very similar to hockey. Uh, it's very physical. So you know the ball always has a, a right away that you cannot cross that line. It makes it a foul. But you're able to sort of go. Um, um, once you're elbow to elbow, you can come mm. and you can push the other person out of their line because uh, that's how mm. you can get the ball from them. So you come in, kind of you're in the highway, you come up about the same distance, and you want to come with your horse, push them out all together. So it's very physical. Dang, mm. so you sort of check them with the horse. Yeah. <coughs> that's it, that's it. Yeah. There yeah. has to be a lot of injuries, in which, you know, because I imagine just falling off a horse. So I, I've only ridden probably like five or six times, and I would go – so when I was in, in the military, we would go up to uh, Washington State um, to do some sniper training, and uh, it was at this ranch. So the guy had tons of horses. I mean, it was beautiful. And near the end of that training, we would do a livestock on horses. So they would let us get on the horse, and we'd travel however many miles to like then get off and actually stalk in to take our shot. Um, it was actually pretty comical because most of the team guys that went up there there's probably like a small percentage of them that actually like grew up riding horses and the rest of us, you know, either city boys or, you know, just never rid horses before in our life. And it was like a half hour demo of like, okay, this is how you do it. Get on here. These are the commands. Um, and the big thing was like, just show the horse you're in charge. Like do not let it, you know, <laughs> and I mean, that's easier said than done. And I, I remember, you know, cause I went up there multiple times. Um, and each time, you know, we get on and, you see these guys trying to get used to riding the horse and all it takes is one horse to take off. And then the whole herd <laughs> just starts going. And I mean, it is probably the funniest sight to watch about 15 Navy SEALs clinging onto horses necks, <laughs> you know, going up the side of a mountain, you know, screaming, like, how do I make it stop? Oh uh, but you know, guys would fall off and somebody would always inevitably, you know, break, break a limb. Um, so I can imagine, you know, riding around trying to hit this ball with a mallet, the, amount of coordination that takes not only between you but the horse and then you guys combined um which is pretty amazing they didn't they didn't have like horse you didn't ride in horses in Missoula. you didn't like ride in on the horses <laughs> not in Mosul. <laughs> i actually have some buddies that uh that did ride horses in just a couple ops in afghanistan oh, wow. uh yeah just because um, of the terrain of getting up places um, I'm pretty sure the terrain was a factor, and also they just were like, it'd be badass to ride a horse <laughs> in, into an op. <laughs> That's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's it, it's just like every um, extreme sport, I'll say, and I'll put Paul probably in there. It's It's got all its risk, but, you know, I think if you go in the, with the safety first and you know there's a process where you first learn you need to learn how to properly ride a horse and it's one of those things you know when you play sports you just never reach the ultimate pinnacle of like oh i've mastered this i know it there's not a black and white you know i you're always growing mm -hmm. and and the more you play the higher the higher level tournaments you're playing the more the more discipline that it requires but i'll say that there's there's a way you know at, at my level um or really at any level to do it in a relatively safe safe way that yes there's always going to be the da danger that a horse will freak out or you'll fall off or you just didn't didn't had a proper poster and 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 and, and riding technique where you just were weak that day and you where you weren't focused um so yes there's injuries but for the most part i mean like i'll tell you in my in my club there's a gentleman he's amazing um and he's in his 70s mm -hmm. he's blind in one eye 
and he still plays polo and rides better than many people I know. Um, there's a lot of people that have gotten into the sport in their late 60s, mid 60s. Really? Yeah. Um, um, there's a gentleman out of Alabama. Uh, he's probably one of the, the most influential people in polo in the country now. Um, he got into polo, I think, in his late 50s, yet never ridden a horse in his life. And last year he won the U.S. Open, which is the highest um, level of polo in the U.S. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, and the cool thing about it is kind of like I'll, I'll – I'll Compared to sort of like race car driving, you can you can be in a local track, you know, on the country on small carts, or you can do Formula One, and it's the same thing. You know, yeah. there's the horses are the same. Just because there's a horse, it doesn't mean that you know all of them are you know the best horses in the world. So you know, there's horses that are two hundred thousand dollars. There's older horses that you can still play that are three thousand dollars. Yeah, so I'll say the average the average uh, a polo pony price is somewhere between. Ten and twenty thousand dollars. Dang, it's an expensive sport. (laughs) 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 Oh, that's awesome. You think it's important for you, like doing things like that, that there's just like unlimited growth and like growing that that actually helps you professionally? Yeah, absolutely. I think you know, from a strategic standpoint, it's a pole is a very um 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 it's a mind sport, Mm -hmm. really. I mean, if it's the 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 physical portion, it's already understood. It's kind of like one of those things, you know, that 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 it's it's extremely physical. But just because you got the physical component, that doesn't mean anything. And and then there's sort of almost a business component um, um, because it, it takes a lot of effort to sort of orchestrate all of this and, yeah. and make it work. <clears throat> um, um, and then so and then also it requires you to be a team player, um, uh, both with your other three other peers and then understanding your opponents. Um, so it's super strategic, and and then also it's relationship driven. You know, polo is one of the only sports in the world that your handicap is based on your sportsmanship. Mm. So, um, sort of like no assholes allowed. Really, <laughs> really. Yeah. So there's like, like there's a there's an etiquette. There's an etiquette to it. Yeah, and there's certain things that you have to be. So like one of the rules is just being late it's a big no-no uh carrying yourself in the field even if you lose the way you behave and you're great in a lot of that um so in fact earlier you know hundreds of years ago um 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 in india i think you know that's when the first iterations of Paul started that's how they will train their their mili- the military their cavalry. Cal- cal- um, um, they had this version of polo, and and that's how they trained for their their horsemanship and sportsmanship, and mm-hmm. and so so yeah. Are you telling me Ralph Lauren didn't start polo? So actually, <laughs> believe it or not, <laughs> believe it or not, Ralph Lauren has nothing to do with polo or at the, or at the time. Um, I don't know the details of the story. Uh, maybe he can hear this podcast and, and call you guys one day to corroborate what it is. He can, <laughs> maybe this is a challenge for Ralph Lauren to call you guys. We won't take him. Version of the, okay, won't for, take him. but but he 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 um, uh, he was in, in the in the clothing and fashion business, and he wanted to start a brand. And and literally, I think there's in an article he says, "I was trying to figure out what name." to to put on this label and i said you know it's just gonna be something sexy so it's like basketball i mean I, can i name it basketball lauren basketball ralph lauren no and so started thinking tennis ralph lauren it's like polo i think that sounds that sounds like a like a good label and that's kind of how polo ralph lauren came about hmm. that's insane Is it, did yeah. he even play no oh man 
no, 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 I'm, no. Ne- I'm never getting a, yeah. a polo shirt again. And, and actually, the, the so the, the other brand that people call it, like, you know, the get award for it is Polo Assassin. It's kind of like the cheap brand of polo. Uh, it's actually the official United States Polo Association gear that's owned by the United States Polo Association. Huh. <laughs> and just people look at it as a knockoff. So oh, I think that's wow. like an incredible, <laughs> you know, wow. pair to your you know story behind it. Wow. That's awesome. It's crazy how, yeah, I mean, just that story about Ralph Lauren, like, just picking, like, you know what? I'm just going to call it polo, and now mm-hmm. look where it's at. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. Awesome. Dude, thank you so much for coming on. No, appreciate you guys. Your story is awesome. I, I what One of the things I think of is just the nuggets in there of – Hustling, like, not letting, not staying in a victim mentality, like, hustling, like, looking at opportunities, seeing where, hey, not looking at, hey, I don't have this, I don't have that, or I'm disadvantaged. And I feel like the world needs a lot of, like, hey, no, where do I have opportunities? It doesn't matter disadvantages, right? Like, you have to learn English. Like, you can't, I mean, and you're built a huge real estate development company, um, fully vertical, like, one of the few probably in the world. Like, it, just the ability to overcome. I think it's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I, seriously, it's been an honor having you on, you telling your story. And just, you know, I hope that your story inspires others, man, because you have all the characteristics that people should should aspire to. You know, your, your uh, tenacity, your work ethic, mm-hmm. um, just your ability to overcome obstacles, and then also just your outlook on life. Um, the, like you said, the way you wake up every morning, you're grateful for everything you have. Um, I hope people take a, a lot from this. Um, no, I, I appreciate yeah. you guys. You've inspired Eddie to play polo. <laughs> hey, I might. I, might <laughs> I, I would love to see him out there. <laughs> a little bit. Um, I'm just uh, just a little guy with a big big dream. You know, I think one of my my favorite uh, you know analogies. Um, you know, some sometimes people say, "Well, but they were born on third base," and you know, I think it's more rewarding to kind of go zoom past somebody that was born in third base when you were born mm. outside of the field and didn't even have a ticket. You figure yeah, out a way yeah. to jump the fence, come in, grab the bat, get a home run, and just go fly past, but just yeah. because you want to do it for yourself. So <laughs> I love that. I love it. Awesome. awesome. Thank you so much, Appreciate man. Appreciate you guys. <laughs>